0: You're listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast, a show where introverts share their success and failure stories and discuss how they thrive in the digital age. I'm your host, Godwin Chan. Let's begin. Episode 3 of the Digital Introverts Podcast features my good friend, Amos Fang. He is a sports announcer, classical pianist, podcast host, MC, and voice actor that is currently pursuing a Juris Doctor at the University of Ottawa Law School. Before law school, Amos completed a Bachelor of Arts Honors in Law at Carleton University at ages 18 and 19. Amos wrote his first two law publications in the Carleton University Journal of Legal Studies. Amos graduated with high distinction in the top 3% of his class and was awarded a Senate Medal for Outstanding Academic Achievement. As a sports announcer, Amos has announced volleyball, swimming, hockey, basketball, soccer, rugby, and lacrosse. At 19 years of age, Amos announced the 2016 NBA All Star Challenge in Ottawa. At 21 years of age, Amos announced the 2017 Canadian Junior Swimming Championships on his first national CBC Sports broadcast. Amos was also the English announcer of the 2018 U Sports Swimming Championships at the University of Toronto. Amos has worked with renowned sports and entertainment personalities such as TSN NHL Senators post game host and the drive host. Lee Versage, two time Gemini award winning CBC Olympic sports announcer Byron McDonald, Olympic bronze medalist Brittany McLean, Toronto Raptors NBA entertainer Quincy Q Mack Mack, and former Toronto Raptors All Star player Antonio Davis. Currently, Amos is a sports announcer for the University of Ottawa Garnet and Grey, also known as the Gigis, and announces volleyball, basketball, and hockey. At age 23, Amos made his debut on TSN and announced the 2020 Capital Hoops Classic on TSN 1200. In his first year of law school, Amos was a semi-finalist at the 2018 Nelligan O'Brien Payne Moot Court Competition. This achievement was recognized by the Honorable Justice Malcolm Rowe of the Supreme Court of Canada. Amos is also a podcast host of the Law School Show, and has interviewed guests such as Harvard-trained lawyer Rebecca Bromwich, Queen's University Legal Counsel Long Knox, University of Ottawa President Jacques Fremont, and Ottawa-renowned name partner Janice Payne. Amos also combines the legal and hockey worlds by announcing the 2019 Ottawa Law Classic. As a classical pianist, Amos studied under his mother, Quan Mok, and under former Royal Conservatory of Music faculty member and Concert artist International Piano Competition grand prize winner Wang Yang. Amos did his ARCT at age 14 and was a finalist in the 2012 Canadian Music Competition at age 16. He has performed both solo recitals and ensemble performances in Ottawa, Toronto, and Mississauga, including at the Living Arts Centre and the University of Toronto Faculty of Music. He has also performed alongside the Chinese Artists Society of Toronto, his voiceover work includes sports documentaries for the University of Ottawa Gigi's and the Carleton University Ravens. Amos is also fluent in Cantonese-Chinese and can speak some French and Mandarin Chinese. Wow. Without further ado, let's jump right on in. Great. Hello and welcome to the Digital Internets Podcast. My name is Godwin. I'm your host. And today we have Amos Bang on the show. Uh, say hi to the audience.
1: Hello, everyone. It's good to be here.
0: Great, thank you once again for coming on to the show, and um, yeah, let's just get, get started. I guess, you, you know, as you know, the purpose of our show is to really share the stories of uh, introverts in, you know, in this day and age, and, and how they fare, and how do they, you know, how do they live, and, and things like that. So, first off, what do you think is the meaning of, you know, what does it mean to be an introvert now, in this day and age, as opposed to, let's say, you know, 50, 60 years ago? And, you know, what does it mean to be essentially a digital introvert?
1: If I could say it in one word, I would have to say that it's being misunderstood. A lot of people look at introverts and the first thing that they say is they're shy. And the second thing that they say is they're socially awkward. The third thing that they say is they're both shy and socially awkward. Uh, some extremes. Some people even go to extremes and say that introverts are hermits, even to a certain extent. I, I've heard that a couple of times too. And my answer to that is that's not true. That's not true at all. It's it's a stere- It's a stereotype that's vastly, vastly wrong. I mean, there are. I mean, shyness happens across whether you're introverted or extroverted, right? I mean, I mean, there are people who are extroverts who are very shy when you're, they're talking with different people. Um, and, be, and just like I say that, there are many, many introverts who are not shy, who are not socially awkward, and who certainly are not hermits. Um, they're confident. They like to talk with people. They just socialize in a very different way than extroverts. So that's the way how I would say that when you live as an introvert in... The 21st century, especially in an age of social media, we live. Well, for, for, for myself, I live in an era where that misunderstanding goes even further than than it was even just 10 or 15 years ago. Now, you're kind of expected to post a lot of things. You're, I mean, you're expected to post your private life even on social media to a, to a certain extent, and it's a, it's crazy to the, the extent in which some people do it. Although that's there. Personal choice, but if you don't partake in social media, it's gone to a point where you kind of get a little bit stigmatized if you're not a fan of it, right? So, so even nowadays, the the activities that we do on social media, and even social media itself, is inherently extroverted in its sense. It does not encourage introversion, and it has a lot of lot to do with also with with culture as well, with Western culture as well, where Extroversion is, is is embraced, and introversion is well kind of shunned in parts of society. so this is the long way of explaining you know the misunderstandings of introversion and extroversion. so as, as a person live as, as an introvert myself, I live in this kind of misunderstanding all the time, and I have to, in my daily life, disprove these kinds of notions
0: for sure and and what's fascinating is that really there are when it comes to social media, there are two types of introverts. I see one who is on none of them, and the other who is on all of them. Yeah. And of course, you know, I'm I'm fully of the belief that you're part of the former camp, right? You know, I assume that you only have Facebook, right? So in terms yeah. of Facebook, yeah. <laughs> right? which is fine. I have no no qualms about that, right? You know, a lot of yeah. people do that, and a lot of people are, you know, just email me or text me. Yeah. And yeah. if they really want to have a relationship with you, right? Um, and so, you know, it really depends on kind of the goals of that particular individual. If they're particularly private, right, and don't want to blast their entire private life for the internet to see, then that's fine. You know, and, and of course, we shouldn't stigmatize them and, and say that, you know, especially when you're meeting someone new and, and they usually ask, what's the first thing they ask for? Like, you know, it's not even a phone number anymore. It's what is your. Facebook and what is your other social media, right? uh, Yeah.
1: In fact, nowadays I do that. I do that a lot with my colleagues too. I mean, the thing is um, with phones, phones nowadays, we use phones mainly for texting rather than calling and people don't like being called, which for me, I I find kind of a little bit strange because I actually am the other way around. I love calling, but I don't like texting because with calling, you already lose that physical person-to-person in-person contact, but at least you have the voice-to-voice contact, and you can get your points across well and quickly and immediately. Whereas with a text, people can choose to ignore you at that point, or you don't know that person that's on the text because maybe someone has, may have missed the no- notification on that. So when you have that issue going in, I'm thinking, "Wait, what? Then what's the whole point of a phone if you're not going to be calling people, or if you're just going to be texting people? We might as well just use Facebook now." Or Facebook or 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 WhatsApp or stuff like that, you know. So, this is an unpopular opinion potentially, but I stand by this opinion.
0: No, actually, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion. Uh, you know, just because, you know, I I was of the opposite camp actually from from yourself, right? It was a lot easier for me to just text other people just to, um, you know, get my points across, and, and I used to hate picking up the phone, right? Uh, when I, especially when I was younger. And then gradually, when you know, uh, you know, especially after uh, finishing school, right, and and, and graduating from uh, undergrad and, and my master's degree, I just, you know, I sometimes I just prefer calling someone in in the sense that you can get things done in real time instead of waiting for someone's response after, you know, early, you know, five hours or five days even, right, and it's just easier that way. But at the same time, right, I only have you know phone numbers of people I'm, I'm closest to right and you wouldn't say you know you, you wouldn't exactly call up all of your Facebook friends now, would you right so there are different there are different varying levels of uh, relative proximity closeness and closeness right so um, but at the end of the day right it right sometimes when you actually just want to chat and not have that time latency or time delay Right, then just you know, phone and or even in person is better, right? Even better, or or even video conferencing <laughs> for that matter, right? You know, whether that's through Zoom or Facetime or any other uh, pieces of software. So, um, yeah, that's that. That's kind of my shift. So I'm, I'm not you know particularly leaning towards any which way. But it's just there are benefits of both that I like. So,
1: yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, tell you know, tell the audience more about. You know, yourself and and your career, I mean, like, you know, we've had our our discussion, previous discussions before, right? You have a very, very... Very multifaceted. Uh, I think you.
1: May, I think you may have a record of that. I think I sent you that uh, a while ago, or something like that. I think you. I think it'll be great if you could read that off or something. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. because because
1: uh, I, I, there's quite a bit that even I don't remember off the top of my head right now. I, mean, well, I don't have the sheet in front <laughs> of me. So <laughs> no, no. It, it,
0: it, yeah, it's fine. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely make that proper introdu- introduction to the audience uh, at a later date. But what there are to me, there are three things, right? That uh, that really define who you are. In my, from my perspective, right? One, of course, you are currently a law student at yep. the University of Ottawa. Second is your career in, in announcing, broadcasting. And third is your, your music career as well, right? Your, your music mm-hmm. background, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, tell, tell me a little bit more about kind of, you know, all, the, all these three different things and how introversion has played a role in each of these to help you kind of excel in, in, in all of them.
1: So. It's actually a really good question, and I'm happy you asked that because all three of these things are things that people tr- traditionally relate or consider to be extroverted. When you're in law, the first thing that comes to mind is a lawyer who's in court arguing a case in front of a judge or a panel of judges or a judge and jury. When you're a sports announcer, the first thing people think is, and you know, rightfully so, you're standing in front of a TV or you're on a radio broadcast and you're calling you know, an, an Hockey Night in Canada, sends uh, against the Panthers, you know? And then with piano, the first thing that comes to mind is the performance aspect where you're in front of hundreds, if not thousands of spectators and they come in and you play a piece, all the spotlights on you, literally all the spotlights on you because uh, they actually use spotlights when you're in a performance, depending on the venue. And you're the one who is giving Interpreting the music to everybody. For me, my introversion—the way how I saw it—was that the introversion was not an obstacle. In fact, it was actually an advantage that I had over extroversion. And I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll give you examples for all three of these things. First of all, for law, for introversion, the way how I found w- working in a legal environment was that. I love public speaking. You know, I love public speaking, but I don't have to fight for that attention because once you're in a courtroom or once you're in a mediation room, everyone has a chance to talk. Everyone has a chance to explain their side of the story, their side of the case. And Once that time comes, it's you. You are the one who, who are, is expected to talk in that environment. Whereas if you're in an extroverted environment like a party or a large scale gathering, what happens is that you have to fight for that kind of attention. And my philosophy is: why should you fight for attention when that attention will eventually come to you eventually? You know. So for me, for law, I thrive in a very in a public speaking environment for law, and it's the same thing with sports announcing as well. You know, I I, I love sports announcing. It's because when I'm talking. You know, again, I'm not the center of attention, but the attention, I have an obligation to do that. And that obligation is more of a passion, if anything. You know, I, 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 you know I, love, I love calling a good game, I love telling a story through the game that's happening. And when I'm calling a game, I don't see 300 viewers or 300 listeners on a broadcast platform. For me, what I see are 300 parts of one collective person. So I am talking essentially with one collective person naturally. And it's, this is happening subconsciously in my mind when I'm doing this. So the reason why I mention it this way is because what introverts tend to do, including myself, is that we like one-on-one conversations or three person conversations, maximum four person conversations. We like very, very small types of conversations where we actually have a lot of time to talk and we, have to, we go into a lot of subjects. We don't like the large-scale 10-person, 7-person, 8-person, 9-person, or much, much more than that, those kinds of conversations because, again, you're fighting for attention and we don't want to fight for attention, number one. Number two, there's just too much noise going around. But when you're talking with one person, you can drown out the rest of the noise. And that's what I do subconsciously when I'm, when I'm calling a game. Um, in terms of classical piano, for me... I drown out everything to the extent where I only focus on classical music itself. So if I'm playing a piece of Chopin, all I have in my mind is what Chopin intended, what, he, what, the, what the music entails, what the message of the music entails, what the expression should be, in my opinion, and, and if Chopin was still alive, what he would be doing. And then I express that, my interpretation, to as many live spectators as possible. And if anything introversion in all these aspects gives me a lot of opportunity to to reflect on my own thoughts actually so because i have a lot of time to myself and i'm usually in an environment where i'm sitting at home or or, or studying or doing stuff like that i have a lot of time to my my own mind to my own brain so there's a lot of ideas that come into my head that are actually great ideas, and then I actually make connections based off those ideas when I'm doing my work. And it's funny to say this because my classical music background, uh, as a classical pianist, actually helped me a lot in uh, in my legal career, and it actually helped me a lot in my sports announcing career as well. So, and that's what introversion was able to do with, to do for me. And um, you know, I formed so many different connections between these these two things, especially classical music and sports announcing. That it's kind of, it's, it's actually really interesting for me to think about, given that my mind actually works subconsciously and involuntarily like that. Uh, the kind of connections there. Um, so I'm not sure if you want me to give an example of uh, <laughs> how classical sure. music and sports yeah. announcing are related.
0: Why, why not? You know, because those are two disparate fields that no, you know, people usually think of as mutually exclusive. But, you know, it would be nice, you know, to hear an example of that because that... Is intriguing to me. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know about everyone list, out there listening, but that's interesting to me.
1: Sure, I'll definitely give the I, I give you uh, an example that I still do every single uh, every single time I call I call the action. I'll, I'll use the example of volleyball because um, I actually announced seven different sports. One of them, one of them is is volleyball for the GGS, the University of Ottawa GGS. So in volleyball, one of the first things that I noticed is that. There's always points being scored. No matter what, a rally always ends in a point scored, whether it's on the home team or on the away team. In my mind, I'm thinking bump set spike, perfect cadence, 5-1 resolution. Bump set tip, play goal cadence, 4-1 resolution. Bump set spike but blocked, deceptive cadence. Bump set spike but uh, received on the other side and then bump set spike back to the other way. And then a block out or out of bounds, imperfect cadence. And that's, that's just a small portion of that point being scored. Now, if it, was a mu- if it was a rally, so a long rally which could be around 30 seconds to a minute and a half depending on how both teams are playing. For me, in my mind, that's actually a whole musical phrase being played in my mind and instantly when that happens Chopin plays in my head it literally Chopin plays in my head and in my head what's what's going on is that if, when a rally is going back and forth back and forth I'm thinking uh I'm thinking literally like I said Chopin so it goes something like uh there was this one theme I, It it almost it just left me a little bit at this point uh, oh yes yes it was so this this theme and then (mail) so sorry for my singing there but this (laughs) is this is Chopin's ballad number one and uh, I performed this piece that that, that's why that was one of the many pieces that I performed back when uh, when I was still performing a lot in classical piano but this is what plays in my mind as I'm going. And then there's a musical phrase. The way how I sung it wasn't exactly accurate because I was just singing the notes. But if it was an actual performance, musical performance phrase, which is what's happening in my mind, it's like... (laughs) So, you know, there's a dynamic range and there's a difference when you go from beginning to end. So. At the end of every rally in volleyball, what I'm thinking automatically is it's the end of a musical phrase or musical sentence. You know, if you want to use use English terms to translate the musical phrase, chronicle. and then a new phrase starts up with a, with a new serve
0: and a new rally, new musical phrase. Hello, editor Godwin here. Hope you're enjoying the episode. So the excerpt from Chopin's Ballad Number no. One that Amos was singing earlier can actually be heard in a 2014 live performance of his. Take a listen.
1: In terms of the sets themselves, I actually view them similarly to how I view music in terms of ternary form, binary form, rondo form, sonata form, depending on the number of sets being played and how and how they're being played. I also view them as you know exposition, development, recapitulation. These are terms that are used in classical music era, especially with uh, with uh, Mozart and Haydn's pieces back in the old days, and then. With each sport, each sport has a different pacing. Some sports are faster than others. So the fastest sport that I've called so far is hockey. So in my mind,
0: it's a tempo of presto or prestissimo or prestissimo even. Hi, it's Editor Godwin again. This time, I'll be bringing you a snippet of Amos announcing a women's hockey game played by the GGs earlier this year. Have a
1: listen. qua. <laughs> once again, Qua back to the near side, Bouchard, 19 seconds, shot goes off, Qua, one-timer, scores! Melody Bouchard buries the overtime goal, what an amazing pass made there, it was Qua. Bouchard, goal, three to two, GGs win this. Um, for basketball, it's Allegro or Allegretto or Allegro con Fuoco even, um, for volleyball, it could be Vivace, you know, Vivace or if it was golf, sorry to say this, but golf is more like Largo.
0: So, (laughs) um, but,
1: but that's, that's what's going on in my mind. And this is going on subconsciously too. So whenever I'm calling an action or I'm calling a game in my mind, I'm always subconsciously thinking, what's the musical phrase here? What's the musical resolution? am I resolving in in, in a, a playable cadence what about those what about those appoggiaturas here and the appoggiaturas in music, music musical terms mean um, mean certain notes mean notes that are they appear to be grace notes, but I, I think they were grace notes. But then they appear to be played in a different rhythm. I could be a little bit wrong because my my knowledge is a little bit rusty in this. But still, it's it's a type of passing note and stuff like that. Although it's a bit different from a passing tone. I'm getting very musically technical at this point, so I apologize to all the listeners uh, <laughs> out there. Um, but yeah, so what's that appoggiatura happened there? What's that es- eshape, uh happening out there? You know. In my mind, it's thinking. Okay, that's a tip right there. That's blocked. That's a that's a set. But that's also a quick one-two hit back on the other side. Okay, what's the rhythm on that? What's the pacing on that? What's the uh, what's the uh, um, the tempo that that changes? Any accidentals? Any changes in time signature? Any changes in pacing? So this is what's happening as I'm going on, as I'm going through the game. Every single minute of the game. Every single second of the game. I'm thinking of the game in a very musical sense so if anything classical music and sports have a lot in common when i when i think about it this way because i don't think it from a very me- merely technical perspective only but i also think of it from a very musical perspective and uh, that's the long way of me rambling and saying how i relate classical music to sports announcing in this sense because that's li- literally what goes on in my mind when i'm doing this
0: wow you know like that's that you know you know that perspective really is uh it, it really is fascinating and that's you know definitely not a lot of people think of it you know of, of sports in a musical way and, and by you know kind of articulating it here today it's it makes a lot of sense in my mind right yeah. but it can be thought of uh in, in this manner and that uh, you know it's like it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just left a bit speechless, really.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I mean, that, that, that ballad piece, that ballad piece keeps playing in my mind along with, the, with a few other Chopin pieces. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I performed uh, the ballad number one as one of the pieces that I played. I mean, I can send you even uh, uh, an excerpt of that, that particular part that I'm talking about with the, with the ballad that plays in my mind. And whenever I look at a, at a volleyball rally, uh i can send i can send it, send you a clip of that if you want to and if you want to put in in, in the in the podcast episode and you know people are confused <laughs> what is this random tune name is singing right here this is a tune that i'm singing right here you know <laughs> then we can uh, we
0: can it, it, you know insert it, uh somewhere for the uh for the audience for some context for yes. <laughs> yes
1: yeah 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 for sure for sure i'll i'll definitely send you uh uh th- this performance was i think it this was this was from 6 years ago actually uh it was before university so that so it was a while back um uh uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely send it to you after the podcast is done. But, but I mean, th- thank you so much. for, 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 for I appreciate it for, for considering it very interesting in terms of how, how I thought of it. Because this is, for me, it just came naturally. And it, and it came so naturally and subconsciously that I didn't even realize it until two years ago. I didn't even realize it until two years ago. And I've been doing announcing for, I think, four and a half years now at this point. So the fact that it's eluded me for two years. Uh, for two and a half years almost thinking wow that's how subconsciously i think of I think of the world not just sports but the world in a musical sense
0: right and, and it is so fascinating because uh, because you're taking essentially two different disciplines and you're and you know you're marrying them in in, in a way that is very synergistic I know that sounds really abstract, but, you know, you know, people always say, like, what is synergy? What does that even mean? And it's just like, because they're complementary, right, in, in that sense. And it helps, one helps the other, right, exactly how you uh, illustrated it. And, yeah, yeah you, you know, other than to say that, you know, for, you know, for anyone listening out there, that you can do the same thing with two, any two other uh, fields. Some may be harder to relate than the others. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, something, encourage you to uh, not the whole nature of, uh, you you know, interdisciplinary kind of studies or interdisciplinary thinking, right. -hmm. Is is this sense of taking two or more different fields and, and mashing them together and, and, and creating something new and and wonderful and exciting. So, you know, that's my encouragement uh, to everyone out there. And the reason why
1: I was able sorry to cut in a little bit early on this point, but the reason why I, was able to think of this to the extent where it's was subconscious was because I had a lot of time to myself for me to reflect and to really just sit there and be alone with my own thoughts. One thing I read about uh, the difference between introverts and extroverts is that extroverts tend to be afraid of being alone. I'm not too sure that's, if that's entirely accurate, but I can see where the reasoning is. Whereas introverts love to be alone and to be alone with their thoughts, which I find very true because when I'm alone, I don't feel lonely at all because I'm, I'm lost in my own thoughts. There are so many ideas, like I've said earlier, that I have in my mind that I'm thinking, oh, this is an interesting idea. How would I make this more practical, right? And then this was the, the relationship between classical music and sports. That was one of such ideas. And in fact, it was so, it was so weird because this was, I had become so used to thinking alone with my own thoughts that some of them such as the classical music and sports connection that came again subconsciously so i'm making these connections without being conscious of it and then I start, when i start really thinking back and thinking how come i'm th- how come i'm always how come i'm always hearing a melody in my head you know how come i'm always thinking of chopin chopin's ballade or chopin's scherzo or chopin's mazurka in my head why am i always always thinking this way because i've been doing it subconsciously you know and, and my my mind was literally working subconsciously into this. If I was an extrovert, sure, I may have thought about this, but maybe not to the same extent, or maybe I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to think about it at all. So I'm not saying this to, make, to, to say that, oh, introverts are better than extroverts. I'm just saying that this is one advantage that an introvert has over an extrovert in, in the sense. And for me, it was certainly an advantage that I both consciously and subconsciously used to a very significant extent. I use it every single day, even, even now. You know, To this day, I still have this kind of notion of being alone with my thoughts, reflecting on my thoughts, sifting through all of the information in my mind and making some practical sense of it. And I'm not afraid to do that. I'm not afraid to do that. In fact, I love doing that because you can think of many different ideas that you would never have thought of if you were in a very noisy environment.
0: I mean, and that's very good summary of it, It, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I, I would even say that, you know, you know, a majority of the, the world's creatives really can probably self identify as, as introverts because when you're creating something, it doesn't even matter what it is. It can be a book. It can be, you know, a a piece of music. It can be whatever. Right. Um, A lot of it tends to be, very uh self-driven and 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 you know really you're by yourself and these new these new connections these, these ideas sprung up from being in that place of introspection really and and new things can be can be birthed essentially right? exactly. metaphorically and mm-hmm. sometimes even literally right so yeah um yeah frederick
1: chopin himself was an introvert you know and and yet now his music has transpired through time and has influenced other composers who are extroverts, actually. You know, Chopin and Liszt were friends. Liszt was an extrovert, complete opposite from Chopin. But they influenced each other. And Chopin influenced Liszt a lot. And and some of the musicality, some of the, the lyricism that I see in Liszt's music was like, oh, hold on a second. This sounds very much like Chopin. Or, or when I look at Chopin, I'm like, hold on. Chopin sounds a bit like Liszt in this part. So the thing is, there are ideas that introverts can have that influence so many different people, right? And, and they influence it in ways that are very subtle, which is a very introverted thing to do, but that's literally how it does. But that's the thing, you know. For introverts, it's not being outstanding all the time. It's about being subtle. It's about being subtle. and. When you're outstanding, that happens once in a while, but it's ninety percent subtleness, subtlety, and then maybe ten percent being out there or out in the uh, out in the uh, the the absolute open or the ether kind of thing, right, or, or the public sphere, you know, yeah.
0: showing off. Well, essentially, yes, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and you know, it, you know, to me that makes a lot of sense, and and even you know, as I'm kind of reminded you know, of, uh, you know, kind of the story of uh, Steve Wozniak with the original design of the uh, original Apple computer, right, back mm-hmm. in the 70s. You know, he, he, you know, that was a lot of uh, just by himself, just tink- tinkering around, right, in, in the, it, it's in the literal garage, right, you know, the, the, and that's, that's how it came about. I'm not sure if, you know, Apple as a company today would be the same if, you know, Steve Wozniak didn't do that, or he did that with, a huge group of people, right, working on on this one computer, right? So it's it, 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 it it's different, but it's really cool to see how a lot of creative things can come out of just doing things by yourself and, and thinking things over.
1: Exactly. And another thing that introversion allows you to be is it allows you to be very self-disciplined as well. Now, I'm not too sure how many introverts actually realize this. Maybe some of them are probably scrolling their phones a lot more often so that they don't have this kind of self-discipline on them. But this is more of a challenge. For, for, for some people, it would say, uh, people would say introverts have a challenge of, of being, you know, when they're alone, they, don't, they really have no direction. But for me, that's actually an opportunity. It, it's, it's, it's a challenge that's an opportunity because when you're alone, you define your own direction, but you better make sure that you stay by that direction. What is your goal? What, what kind of goals do you set? Where do you see yourself in, in X number of years? So self-discipline in the introversion aspect is always going to be there because you tend, to, chances are you don't have anyone else to push you to get to that point. When you're an extrovert, you, have a, you usually have a group of people that, that can push you by literally giving you their energy. Well, I mean, I don't mean that like giving you an energy into into making a spirit bomb or something. I don't even know. (laughs) You know, I'm sure people
0: know what
1: you mean. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The energy. But I mean, like they give you their social energy. They give you the the motivation and the drive to, to, to get through that. But when you're on your own, you have to give yourself energy and you have to make sure that you are not just motivated, but you're driven and you are striving for a specific goal and that's once you master this challenge you you can do things you can you can go through you can do a lot of things a lot of good things of course productive things and what i'm talking about you can do a lot of great things that you would not have even thought about doing if you didn't have that kind of self-discipline in in the first place i i did a i was talking with um uh, a friend of mine who used to be special forces for, for canada and there was one quote that uh, he had on his blog. And he, it was something along the lines of work while they play something and then something, then laugh while they dream or something like that. So it was like... Or work while they sleep or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah work while they sleep. But th- that's the thing. Oh, uh, work, while, w- work while they sleep uh, or work while they, uh, while they party or something like that. But it's basically like I, I, yeah, when, yeah, other it's people, when people have the chance, when people usually t- take the time off, to do work then you push yourself to you use that time to get ahead of the competition to get ahead of what other people are doing so in that sense you can achieve a lot of good things that's what I did in my undergrad honestly I was never a party guy I was and even to this day I'm I'm still not a party guy at all I don't like I've actually never been to a party in the traditional sense and you know going to you know a club or going to a noisy place where you're dancing on the dance floor and stuff like that. I've never been to a party. Wedding parties don't count because they only happen in a wedding and they they tend to be very tame compared to what most people from what I've heard at least do on a Friday night party.
0: Wedding me, parties are different.
1: <laughs> yeah, wedding parties are very different. They can get pretty rowdy sometimes, but I mean not as I would say not as rowdy as you know, Friday parties, like at least again, at least from what other people have told me of, of what have their experiences in Friday night parties and, um,
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. So, but regardless, I'm, I'm not a party person. So for me, when people usually take the time on Friday to, to take their time off, like today, today we were for, for those of you who are listening, we're recording this on a Friday, Friday afternoon, So Friday afternoon. <laughs> so, so for most, uh, for most people, they would go out and party or just hang out and socialize and stuff, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, if, 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 I mean to each their own. But for me, in my personal experience, I find it's more productive if I use that time to get ahead, you know, to really get ahead of the curve, to get ahead of the competition, to, to push myself to do something that's very interesting. Now, if I do need a time to rest, I will rest. But I don't need to go to a party to rest or relax. You give me a donut from Tim Hortons. And I'm sorry to say this, Tim Hortons does not have the best donuts at all. In fact, it has the worst
0: donuts (laughs) fight me. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, I mean, I have to agree with you. Sorry. We're not getting a sponsorship from Tim Hortons. (laughs) (laughs) But but,
1: I mean, you give me a donut from Tim Hortons and I'd be happy. And that's, and that's, and I'd be fulfilled for the day, you know, and that's saying something because it doesn't take a lot to, to really satisfy me or to, to give me a good relaxation period. I mean, I don't need flashing lights. I don't need loud music. Not that I like loud music anyways. But yeah, this is my long, rambly, long way of saying this is an example of how myself, I as an introvert, socialize and approach the world differently than most extroverts, in my opinion.
0: Right, and you mentioned the the point about self discipline, and that, and of course your your friend being in the special forces, and that to me has always been fascinating. Because of course, uh, as of late, there have been quite a few books, actually, from former Navy Navy Seals on this type of uh, this type of uh, mindset, right, in and training and, and and environment, and and I was curious, and you know, because actually, all three of your uh, you know different paths that or or D- really different um, facets of yourself actually have a performance aspect, right? With the uh, legal profession, with the uh, sports announcing, and with the uh, with the classical piano, right? And so, yes. what kind of what do you do to you know prepare for the big day? Essentially, for, for each of these, just, just out of curiosity.
1: That's a good question. The way how I approach them is generally the same the same way, but I'll describe them in each in their their own respective examples. Uh, because you know they're, 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 no matter how similar they are, they are three different career paths. For law, I'll give you the example of preparing for a moot court competition. Now, for those of you who don't know, which chances are there's many, a moot competition is essentially a law competition where you act as a lawyer, quote-unquote. You prepare legal arguments for a case that's given to you around four to six weeks in advance if it's small-scale moot or for the larger scale moot, it's about a whole year. Like for example, I know the, uh, the, VIS is, the VIS moot is an international moot. And some of my colleagues who are in that moot are preparing for the entire year. And then they compete, I think, around March or something like that. So it's a lot of work. So those, however many times you have, whether it's a smaller scale moot, like a four to six week moot or an eight month or a six or seven or eight month moot, what tends to happen is that you have to prepare your factums. Now, factums are, are written legal arguments. We take the case of either an appellant or, or respondent because typically a lot of these cases are appellant and respondent. Now, we could also be re- representing the plaintiff if we're suing or, or the defendant if we're being sued. And the preparation for that also includes oral submissions. So you go up to an appeal court. So let's say you go to the Supreme Court of Canada or the Ontario Court of Appeal. What you do is you have to give oral submissions, like I said, which is basically you have to present in person with your own spoken voice what you're advocating for. Why should the law stand? Why should the law not stand if you're on the other side? Why your client should be let off the hook. Why your client should not. Why their client should not be left off the hook, right? If you, if you're that. Why my client is no. Why my client is not liable, or why that other client is liable, or there's there's uh, there's joint liability. You know there are all these different positions that you advocate. But to do so again, you prepare a lot, and you have to go up in front of a court. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't understand you're not just giving a speech. Throughout your submissions, they, they, as in the judges, will ask you questions. They will drill you on the law. They will say, counsel, for example, counsel, haven't you already traded away privacy for security in this sense? If that's the case, why are you setting up more cameras for this particular overpass in this train station? And I know this question because I literally, because I, I was a judge in a, in a moot competition just a few months ago and I asked this very question to a, to a, to a student, you know, who was making the, the argument of putting more cameras in a train station to prevent, or, to prevent any future instances of physical assault or for more of a preventive measure in general, right? So there's stuff like that and you have to be prepared for these questions And you have to answer them on the fly. You must give an answer then and there, right? Based on your submissions. And they will continue to drill you on that and drill you on that. Preparation, 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 and practice. You have to do this when you're going up to the big day. So when I do, when I do for a moot, what I do is I do as much prep as I can. Go through the the legal arguments. Make sure I have a general general idea of what they're talking about. So when I get up to the court, when I get up to the stand, and judges ask me questions about the law, I can answer them on the spot. There are going to be questions where no matter how much preparation I will have, I will not have foreseen that. But if I know my, my legal arguments well enough, then I can extrapolate what I have in my legal submissions and then say, well, your honor, this is how my legal arguments would apply. In this case, XYZ. You know? And that's for, for one example of going up to a moot court competition when you're litigating. For sports announcing, again, preparation. You have to prepare for that. Because there are games once or twice a week, especially now that, I, now that I, I'm calling three different sports at the same time right now, I have to do preparation at least, at the very least, four or five days in advance. Typically, I would give myself about a week to, to do the prep. Uh more than that, even the more the better. But sometimes if things get too busy, then I would do it in about four or five days. Still, you know, a little less than a week, but still, you know, you're not cramming things the day before. Because once you get on broadcast, whether if it's TV, online, or radio, people will know if you're not doing your homework. People will very much know if you're not doing your homework, if you're getting certain numbers wrong, if you're not following the pacing of the action well. Don't get me wrong. It's okay to make mistakes on air, but there are there are such things as stupid mistakes, you know, on air. Because when you do make a stupid mistake, people notice a lot. If you're just making a simple mistake here and there, people might roast you for it, but you usually can bounce back from it. But a stupid mistake would be something like, oh, you completely got that name wrong for the entire uh, for the entire game, and it's like wait hold on (laughs) man it's not that person playing it's actually a whole different person playing and it's like you know and and a a really stupid mistake would be if you were saying a person's name but that person doesn't even play for the team at all you know (laughs) so stuff like that of course these are very extreme examples but i hope the listeners get the point of stupid mistakes there are such thing so you always want to be prepared when you're on broadcast because again it's going to come off very obvious especially when you're dealing with fans who have Followed the team for years, who grew up with these teams, some of them, and you see this a lot more often when you're at the top level, like the NHL or the NBA, or any of those things. So that's for sports announcing. Classical piano, once again, preparation. I would even say the amount of preparation that goes into classical piano is more than law school and sports announcing combined, because not only do you have to know the notes, not only do you know, do you need to know how to express them, you have to embody it in an in the soul you have to embody the music soul itself now this may sound very cliche or very very corny to a lot of people but that's that's how you have to approach it as a classical musician i said this earlier about chopin when you're playing a piece by chopin how do you approach that piece are you going to approach it mechanically like a robot or are you going to approach it in the way that chopin would have interpreted it. Now, I know he's dead and I know he's been long dead and you know everyone he knew has been long dead. But based on his writings, based on his philosophy, what can you get from that interpretation? Right? And when you perform, chances are when you perform, it's very different from how you practice. Because when you're practicing, you are on your own. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody's watching you. You're not performing for anybody. You are trying to Polish and fine tune the technique that you have and the kind of expression that you would have, right? Now, for me, maybe a little bit different because my mom was my piano teacher, so uh, so my mom's always 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 you know uh, at home, and, and she's like, "Oh, no, 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 you don't play it that way, no it's, it's different, no, 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 you know so so that maybe it's a bit different for me, but even then, you know, I'm not performing for my mom,'m I'm not, I'm not performing classical music for my mom. I'm practicing music. You know, I'm practicing, not performing. That's a key, key thing. Even if I am performing classical music in front of my mom, it's still different because you're you're in an environment where only one person is listening, right? When you're in an actual musical performance, you're not practicing anymore. You're going out there. You have a few hundred people, if not a few thousand people, if you're at, at a high enough level, or not, I shouldn't say high enough level, but if you have enough of a reputation in the classical music to have a few thousand people, but still a few hundred people, a few hundred thousand people don't be surprised. You have to be ready either way because once you're out there, your mentality uh, shifts, it changes completely. You know, you're not practicing anymore. The nerves might kick in no matter what, you'll always have some butterflies on your stomach, no matter how prepared you are. It's just human nature. It's your human response coming out. So the question is how much preparation did you do and how comfortable do you feel with that particular piece of music that allows you to be out in front of a, of a performing audience. And I remember when I was, when, especially during my high school years, when I was, uh, I think I was, I was preparing for, yeah, this is when I was preparing for the Canadian music competition. When I was preparing there, I would, uh, I remember my mom and several other music teachers that I was studying with back at the time, they would say the best way to practice in performance is to perform in a certain group of people like maybe around like a hundred people at first so that you would feel more comfortable going into the competition because a competition essentially is a full-on performance. It's just that you're being graded and stuff. You're being drilled as well by very experienced classical musicians, especially pianists, if you're in a piano competition. So it goes to the extent where because performance aspects are so different from practicing, you even have to practice performances. There's practicing, practicing, and then there's practicing, performing. And they're two whole different things, so this is my very, very rambly way. I tend to ramble a lot uh, ladies and gentlemen, so I apologize if uh <laughs> if i if I sound a bit annoying at this point, but for me, this is what you have to do. these are points that I have to say out because this is what is is expected from all three of these different industries law, sports, and music
0: right, and i honestly, I've always wanted to ask you this question because you know fuzz from someone who hasn't experienced as much of that, uh, you know, all this uh, really grandiose kind of performance aspect. I mean, yes, yeah, sure. You know, of course I also studied under your mom, right? With, yes. Uh, yes. You know, so I have got, been, had the experience of going to music competitions and yes, and, and, and I with, will,
1: uh, I, I will say one thing. Yes. I, I mean, for the listeners, my mom not only was my piano teacher, but she was also, Gotwin's piano teacher so uh yeah so i mean together. i've known God- yeah i have known i've known you since i think kindergarten actually so we go back a long we yeah. go back over 20 years or yeah, something like that's, that that's, that's right you know <laughs> yeah.
0: but we're not just two random people speaking yeah we're actually friends. yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly long long time friends one of the longest friends that i've, I've ever known in my entire life you know that's yes, but uh, so. but
0: you know even going back to the you know performing and uh, uh, things like that and of course i've seen i've seen you perform live before right with um with those concerts and everything and it's just it's really it's really fascinating because you know from because i've i've seen it from both perspectives right so and of course i'd much rather be in the audience just sitting and enjoying a performance rather than being the one actually performing (laughs) right initially especially initially but you know definitely when when once you go into that mode like you tend to just block out everything you're just there by yourself you technically right with you know with your instrument in front of you right of course for for us it was piano and that's that's all you cared about you just do your thing and then everything else will just come naturally
1: exactly and one other thing that's very difficult about classical music concerts for those of you who have never been to a classical music concerts they are very different from your typical rock music concert or your pop music concerts the difference mainly is how the audience interacts with the performers. When you're in a rock concert or a pop music concert or a pop music festival, typically you have a lot of streaming fans who are actively clapping, actively singing with the performers. And the performers oftentimes always, you know, engage with it. Hey, like, hey, good evening, Ottawa. Yeah, you, know, it, you know, like, hey, it's how very, are you doing? It's very interactive experience, yes. Exactly. It's very interactive. In classical music, it's the exact opposite of that. The first interaction that happens is the classical pianist walks up to the stage or walks from backstage into the stage. And once the people see that, they clap. And they clap, the person, uh, the pianist bows in front of the piano and then sits down. Everyone stops clapping, waits until the performance begins. And throughout the entire piece, dead silence. You're not even allowed to cough. If you do cough, you better have a good reason to cough. Like you, like, if, like if, you're, if you're sick or if you're choking on something, that, that's a good reason. But if you're just coughing just for the sake of coughing and you can't really control it, you know that's actually viewed as disrespectful. Now, some people might think uh, that's really condescending though. What if someone has to cough? Which again, if they have to cough, you have to cough, right? But there's this notion of Focusing on the classical music itself and all of the attention, like I said earlier in, in the podcast episode today, literally all the spotlights, depending on the venue is on you, the classical pianist or the classical musician. So once you perform, everyone is giving their undivided attention to you. It is so quiet. You can hear a pin drop in there the, for the audience. That is, it is even quieter than a library. That's how quiet it is, you know, and even quieter, quieter than the quiet portions of library. So that's why it's very funny because after you finish a movement or something like that, and you, there's literally a little pause in the movement, you don't applaud for it yet. You don't applaud for it. So what happens is people just cough, like they just cough profusely, make sure get all the coughs out and stuff, and that's okay because that's 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 your chance for everybody to cough. Once you get the coughs out, second movement, and then third movement, fourth movement, so on and so forth. But that's the mentality of classical music is because you're not focusing on the the euphoria you're focusing on the music the expression the message that's being in the music you can call it condescending you can call it paternalistic all you want but the the fact is the focus isn't on the audience the focus is on the music and how the musician is trying to interpret it and that takes and that, that's very nerve-wracking even for a lot of uh, a lot of experienced performers you have to put a lot of mentality into that just like how a lot of athletes when on game day they do their warm-ups they have their pump-ups you know they do a lot they do a lot of you know just cheering on, on, on and perfect example volleyball they they serve they they practice rallies they get all the last minute nervousness out and they really pump each other up they get all the energy in and they start cheering each other on just as how they would do it this way as a mu- musician, and this is also a very introverted way of doing it as well, is especially if you're a solo musician. You usually, sit in your room. You've done your warm ups. You've done your scales. You've done your your arpeggios, your trills, your diminished, your diminished sevenths, your dominant sevenths. But then you sit in your room. You sit in your backstage. And this is also also me when I when I was doing solo recitals. I sit at backstage, and I just think and I think and I think and I think. I basically meditate on the music. Get yourself in the moment. Get yourself into what the piece is. Get yourself into the shoes of Tchaikovsky, Prokofiev, Scriabin, Rachmaninoff, Mozart, Brahms, Liszt, Chopin, Beethoven, Haydn, Handel, J.S. Bach, C.P.E. Bach, Johann Christian Bach, any composer that you're performing, you get into that mindset. Then the cur- and then the lights turn off. And then you walk in you're mentally ready, you're intellectually ready, I should say, the better way of saying you're intellectually ready, you're physically ready, your hands are ready, and you're, and you're performing. It's this kind of mindset that takes a lot of concentration and again, a lot of self-discipline and a lot of preparation uh, in the classical music realm. So that's also one thing that you had to look at that's so different in the classical music concert than from a rock concert or a pop music concert.
0: Wow, well, exactly. You know, and it's such a different way of experiencing, right? Uh, artistry, really, in in, in in that kind of sense, right? I, and of course it, it, and it's different for um, different types of uh, classical music as well. Of course, I've been to orchestra, orchestral concerts as well. I've performed within an orchestra, right? Yes. I, you know, did I tell you that um, you know I used to play the trumpet in middle and high school, right? So, yes. Uh, yes. You know that that whole thing is also different, but kind of the traditions I would call it or the, uh, the the behaviors are are literally the same right because I remember seeing a couple of my friends getting uh reprimanded for not paying attention <laughs> right during, yes. a, during an orchestra orchestra concert concert, right because that's not you're supposed to be fully immersed in that kind of experience, right and so and you know I of course I would encourage the audience. Really, just go, go to one of these um, performances at least once in your lifetime. They're amazing. They are. They really, really are. Especially when
1: you're going to a reputable hall. Like if you're in Toronto, if you're going to, to the Roy Thompson Hall, that is essentially the, one, of the most, one of the more popular performing venues in Canada. I don't want to say the most because there are probably more that I'm missing out, but I will say it is one of the more popular ones, one of the more famous ones. Roy Thompson Hall. Uh, Massey Hall is more for jazz performances. But, I mean, if you're performing, if you're going to, a, to, uh, to I mean, a, be, a much better example is Carnegie Hall. You know, Carnegie Hall, it's, you go there, they even design the hall in a way that maximizes the acoustic color and the acoustic flavor of the sound that comes from the classical music. So even when you're playing music in there, it's so different. It, the, the sound, the way how the sound interacts with the environment, how it interacts with the halls, it amplifies it. And you may, it, it's a gigantic hall, and maybe, you know, you might be in, a, in one small little area, but when you're the performer, it projects. It really projects. There's no need for microphones. There's no need for microphones at all. In some instances, there may be if you're in an outdoor venue, but in, an, in a concert hall, it's designed in a way to, minimize or even eliminate the need for microphones completely so it's it's so it's such a different kind of feeling which is why it may intimidate some people but honestly don't be intimidated because you're not again you're not fighting for attention you know to use the indicator for term you're not fighting for attention you're giving your attention you're giving your attention to the music itself you're giving your attention to the performer or the performers of what they're doing. And it's so, so different. And I talk about sound all the time because it's not just the hall that also has to be really, to be, to be something instrument as well. I'm not sure if I've ever talked to you about this, but, and I know this is going off a bit of a tangent, but because once we're on the topic here, I mean, I mean I'm very passionate still, even after all these years about, you know, the, the classical music sound and the piano sound as well. There's one, there's a piano brand, like even the piano brands that you get are so different you've probably heard of Steinway and Sons. Steinway and Sons is viewed by many pianists, including myself, as the very best piano manufacturer of all time. Of all time. And I'm, and I'm not saying of all time lightly. I'm saying it meaningfully, because Steinway and Sons, almost every concert hall has it. The White House has it. That, that's right, the White House in, in Washington, D.C. Has, has, has one. I think Buckingham Palace has one as well. I could be wrong on that, but this is the gold standard of concert pianists and concert pianos. And I've had I've had the pleasure of playing and performing on, on some Steinways. It is the most magnificent sound that you will ever, ever play on. Better than any piano that I've ever played. And and you and I have both play on Yamaha's, which is good, but it's not anything super special. But the Steinway, man, it's so it's so different. The music, the the music that comes across from it is perfectly balanced, perfectly executed it's so so good just so good it's so it's so difficult to describe it to a
0: non-musical ear. but it's it's just so good so <laughs> yes and, and this is of course you know we're we're, we're just geeking out now on uh, <laughs> on, yeah. uh, on music. So, uh yeah we apologize in advance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the thing going relating this
1: back to intro, introversion you know these are things that you wouldn't be able to figure out if you didn't have a lot of time to yourself you didn't have a lot of time to really focus on on your own thoughts and having time to recharge on your own. And that's one thing that I think introverts strive a lot to do and and I think they they absolutely thrive, prosper and succeed in this environment because t- chances are you you use that time quite well. You use that time again like some people may not, maybe a bit lazy, may not use that time very well, but when you're an introvert and you're driven and you have and all you have is time and a book and you know some some pencils and paper around you, you you can your mind can go to places where you wouldn't be able to expect. And especially if you have even just like a couple hours doing that. Oh, it's so good. Like I'm on break right now. And it's so, it's so interesting when you have so much time to yourself, when you're reading books, when you're reading, for me, I usually read a bit of music, music philosophy or general philosophy in general, or I'm listening to music concerts and stuff. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm on, on break, sometimes I watch the odd sports, sports casting. Uh sports broadcast, not f- just for the game, but for just how how to improve my my sports announcing. but once you have that time, you're in a place where you can really improve and succeed quite a lot faster, and that's one thing I think introverts have a lot of extroverts not saying that extroverts don't have a lot of this time, but the chances for this are very rare because they tend to be along with most with a large group of people more often than when they're on their own
0: Mhm for sure. And uh wow, you know, just the amount of things we talked about today is uh is a lot. There's a lot of breadth but there's also a lot of depth. And that's usually the case for a lot of our conversations and, and you know, that's that's what introverts are really known for is for our, our, you know, kind of deep conversations. But, and again, like we said before, uh, this can go on for hours and hours, but there's a, uh, you know, we, there, there's a certain cap that we need to uh, put on for these episodes at least. Right. So great that our time today has unfortunately come to an end. Um, so I want to thank you again for coming onto the show and, and sharing all your unique insights into your very multifaceted career.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. There's a lot more I want to get into, but I understand uh, time is always of the essence here, but thank you so I, much for... I
0: mean, yeah, exactly. And I know I can produce like an episode just like Joe Rogan, but like man, he talk. They, their conversation is going forever.
1: <laughs> well, that's the reason why he leaves his uh, podcast mostly unedited you know, they just, they just go on there and then they edit the very important parts or the highlights into smaller five minute parts. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible, but, but yeah, it, it was, it's certainly, I mean, any amount of time where you get to talk about your, your passions, we you get to talk about what you're doing, what your professional pursuits are. It's definitely, it's definitely a good time.
0: Exactly. And that's really, that's really my goal with the, uh, with this podcast really is to you know, not only is to share, not only those kind of professional insights, you know, and and experiences, but do it in a way that is maybe more, more personal than, you know, the average telling, you know, if you're at a cocktail party or something, it's just like, you know, and I've told this to many people, like, I hate the question of what do you, so what do you do? It's it's, it's so sterile, right? In the sense that, what are you supposed to say? Oh, you know, I'm blah, 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 but there's a lot more depth you can go into. There's a lot more richness you can Go into right instead of just saying, oh, you know, I, I you know, I'm a, I'm just a classical pianist, or I'm just a sports announcer, or I'm just a law student, yeah, right? You, exactly. You know, especially highlighted exactly. with all the, uh, all the different anecdotes you shared today, right? There's a lot more substance you can go into,
1: right? Exactly. So, I think uh, to, to add this point in there, and this goes not just for introverts but also for for extroverts as well. I mean, every whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I mean, something that I think we all have to pay attention on since we live in in the digital age interpersonal conversational skills have been going down a lot you know people aren't people already have difficulties speaking in small talk now cuz you imagine speaking or talking about really much deeper subjects if you can't even get past small talk how can you get through the deeper subjects right and i think that's a that's an art that we're losing more and more of in our particular generation because I'm sorry to say this, and this may sound very cliche, but we're too busy on our, on our phones and, and our devices. So that's... Yeah, th- so it, th- like you said, Godwin, I mean, there's a lot of depth and there's a, lot, there's, lo- there's a lot more person than just the outward appearance and what they're doing, you know, that small sliver of their professional or their social experience. And it, you really, if you really want to get to know a person on i I'm saying this mainly from a friendship perspective and, or a colleague or a friendship perspective, if you really want to get to know that person on a, on a friendly matter. You need to spend the time on that. And this goes, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you know, I'm not saying who has the advantage at this point. I'm just saying, you know, this is a skill that I think people need to, need to relearn in many instances, if they want to have a more fulfilling social life with other people.
0: Yes, for sure. And, and, you know, with that note, you know, I want to, Thank you uh, once again for coming on. Actually, you know, I have a very last question. Where can yes. you know? I know you're not you know on, on many social platforms, but where can people find you? Where can people find your work? More importantly,
1: well, they can find me on my LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is one of the few places that I u- I do use because it's, it's a well, it's mainly for a professional platform, um, so they can follow me there uh I do I think I do have a Twitter and a, a Twitter but it's more of a placeholder Twitter that I just made like a year or two ago or something like that and or 3 years ago now it's whatever but I only made it there because in the event that I do have to use my social media more often then I can just open the Twitter and say hey okay boom I have a Twitter but follow me on my LinkedIn LinkedIn would be the best place if you want to connect and uh uh stuff like that you can do that I also host a podcast of my own uh it's not my own but I, it's, I, I co-hosted with a number of other uh, law students as well called The Law School Show. So uh, I think the website is thelawschoolshow.com or something like that. I don't know. I'll, I'll send Godwin a link uh, to I'll, that. I'll <laughs> to, include it in the show notes. Yes, yes. So uh, there's that. And I interview lawyers and legal professionals on their interesting and unique pathways and, and, and stuff like that. How they've gone from law school, outside of law school. Their professional experiences, what they've been involved with, um, any big cases or management or an administration that they've been doing with, and yeah, so that's also a podcast, podcast I, I do. So the podcast and the LinkedIn are the best uh, ways to connect with me.
0: Perfect, and uh, let's uh, let's close this off. Thank you once again. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Godwin. Thanks for listening to the Digital Introverts Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at D-I-G-I-I-N-T-R-O-S-H-O-W. And you can follow me on all social platforms at G-O-D-W-I-N-H-S-C-H-A-N. I appreciate everyone who listens to the show And let's change the world quietly.